still, right? Uh, we've been off Sunday school for three months. We're starting back uh, first day today. I'm really excited. I, uh, if you talk to me about Sunday school, I'll give the same answer. I, I love Sunday school. I, lo- I love it. I look forward to it every week. I love the discussion. It wakes me up really well before the service. And so um, I'm really excited to start again. Uh, just as by way of reminder, we are uh, still in First Timothy, so the plan is to finish First Timothy uh, through the next couple of months. It looks like it's going to take about eight or nine weeks. So for the next couple of months, we'll finish First Timothy, and I've got a, a plan for a series after that, um, which I'll let you guys know uh, later. I've got to talk to the elders and um, make sure we're all good with that. But um, so that's our plan. So we'll finish out First Timothy. Um, uh, for the next couple of months, okay? So it's really good to see you. I'm excited to start Sunday school again. I'm excited to uh, discuss these things with you uh, once again. Um, we will uh, just know in, in the lesson, I'm going to kind of review a little bit of what we've seen in the previous chapters, okay? And so that'll come um, and just kind of remind us of what, what we've learned so far. So Let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into 1 Timothy. Uh, Today will be chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And so let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you for uh, this day, uh, the Lord's day, that you have set aside by the resurrection of your Son to, uh, to give to the church that we might give ourselves diligently to the preaching of the word, the singing of psalms and hymns, and fellowship with believers and to learning your word and to um, meditating on your word. We pray, Father, this morning that you would uh, be with the teacher. We pray that you would move by your spirit in all of us, that we would uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior. For we ask this all in his name. Amen. Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 16. I'll go ahead and read it uh, real quick. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love, faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Okay, just real quick, uh, for those of you who may be new to this lesson, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. Paul has, uh, we looked at 2 Timothy uh, several months ago, many months ago. Now we're in 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul is the apostle writing to Timothy to help him, to train him, to prepare him to take up the mantle of leadership in the church because the apostles would pass from the scene, Paul being one of them, right? And so you have the apostolic age with the apostles conducting leadership in the church, preaching and actually writing the very word of God, establishing the church in that way in the word of God. Once the apostles die, pass from the scene, The leadership is transferred to pastors and elders. That's what we see here. And that's what we have today. Is leadership is done by pastors and elders 
in the church established upon the promises of the gospel in uh, God's word. So there's no apostles today. So that's the context of this uh, letter to Timothy. And so he says to Timothy here, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Okay, so he says, command and teach these things. What are these things? Well, it's a reference to pretty much everything that he had set up until this point. He'll say this again later, these things, do these things. He's pretty much referring to everything, everything that he told Timothy here. And what had he told Timothy? Well, I'm going to start with the most recent and work work our way back. In chapter 4, he said that, and, and when I say everything, I say everything in terms of Doctrine and life, right? Timothy is to guard doctrine and he's to guard his life, his holiness. And so right before this, he had said, everything created by God is good. And so that was early in chapter 4. He talked about people forbidding marriage, um, forbidding the eating of certain foods. Paul said, no, that's false doctrine. Everything created by God is good. Chapter 3, we have that wonderful kind of creedal statement about Jesus that says he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nation, nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That was, uh, that was chapter 3, uh, end of chapter 3. We looked at that. Uh, then we also looked in, at, in chapter 3 at the qualifications for elders and deacons, right? Uh, if you remember that, it was some time ago. We also looked at, in chapter 2, an exhortation to prayer. The church is to pray for all people. Um, and then, of course, back in chapter 1, he says, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save uh, sinners. And at the very beginning, he tells Timothy, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Right. So there you see... Uh, Commands, exhortations about guarding doctrine, but also about uh, holy living. And um, we're getting into more of the holy living part uh, here. Uh, Timothy is to command and teach. That is to say, he is to continuously teach with authority the truth of God's word and all of its implications. So that is to characterize his entire ministry. Teaching with authority. Command and teach. None of us should tire of God's Word. We will never plumb the depths of God's Word in this life. It just won't happen. And so none of us, the teachers included, should tire of looking at books of the Bible, learning from them, teaching them, whatever it may be. You might think of uh, all the verses in Psalm 19 that talk about the beauty and the glory of God's Word. Uh, The psalmist says this, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your command is exceedingly broad. That's Psalm 119.96. So um, we will never exhaust the depths and the richness of God's word. And so Timothy should continuously command and teach these things. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. That's another verse from Psalm uh, 19. In verse 12, Paul uh, uh, references Timothy's youth. And so he was apparently young, relatively young, maybe 30 to 40 uh, years old perhaps. Not exactly sure the exact age. But Timothy had been trained in the scriptures from childhood. We We see this in 2 Timothy 3. Paul tells Timothy 
Uh, remember what you've learned, how you were trained in the Scriptures from childhood. And so Timothy, though he's young, in comparison to possibly other leaders, other elders in the church, uh, he had some time in the Scriptures and so in, in the learning of the Scriptures. And so he wasn't a new convert, right? Remember back in um, chapter 3, or chapter, yeah, chapter 3, we see the qualifications for elders. Uh, Paul says they, they can't be a new convert, right? They can't be a neophyte, someone who has just recently become a Christian. They need time to learn, right? Timothy was not that. When he says that he's young, he's young in terms of his physical age, but he's spiritually matured to do this job. Um, Paul had acquired Timothy's help uh, at the beginning of his second missionary journey. You see that in the book of Acts. And so Timothy had been with Paul for some time. If this letter, letter, uh, the letter to Timothy, if it was written in the 60s, which some uh, believe that it is, then that means that Timothy and Paul had enjoyed roughly a decade of friendship and service together. Something like that. And so, yes, Timothy is young, maybe he's you know, 30 years old, but he's been serving with uh, Paul for a decade, and he was trained in the Scriptures from an early age. And so Paul says, do not uh, let no one despise you for your youth. Now, why does he say this? Well, older members may tend to look down upon the younger ones, precisely because they're young, thinking, well... You haven't done anything yet. You haven't experienced life yet. Uh, You don't know anything because you're young. That's a tendency for older uh, people to think that way about younger people in the church and particularly about a younger pastor, a younger leader in the church. Why should we listen to him when he hasn't even lived life yet, right? that That might be the temptation for some older, older members in the church to think, and maybe even some other ones. Um, and that, there might be some truth to that. There is some truth to that, right? Young people often don't know what they're talking about because they haven't experienced a lot of life. And so there, is, there might be some truth to that in some circumstances. But for Timothy, uh, he was fit for this service. Regardless of his age, he's fit to be a leader uh, in the church. And so Paul says, combat that thinking. People will disregard you, look down upon you because of your youth, combat that thinking. How? With mature obedience in every area of life. Speech, what you say, conduct, what you do, faith, love, purity, how you love, your personal holiness, everything, Timothy. Show people your maturity in those areas, right? Show them with your words. Show them with your actions. Show them that you belong here. That's essentially what Paul is saying uh, to them. Now, think about this. Jesus was around 30 years old when he began his public ministry. He was 30, right? I mean, typically, we think of, you know, men 30 years old, late 20s, whatever. In a lot of ways, they still need they still have some living to do, right? They still have some learning to do. Some don't, but some do. I know I did for sure, right? Um, But Jesus was 30 when he began his public ministry, and there is no greater example of this than in Jesus, right? Speech, conduct, purity, faith, love. Jesus exemplified all of that perfectly. 
And so Timothy can do this. And that's what Paul says. He says, show them your spiritual maturity by your, your life, your commitment to Christ. Um, and so this can be done, even at a relatively young age. Young people can show this type of maturity, that it is possible if they're willing to commit themselves uh, to this. The young can outdo the old, that is to say, the young can outdo the old in spiritual maturity and righteousness, no, though not all the time, right? It's, the general rule is, can, is usually vice versa because uh, older people uh, have lived life. They've made the mistakes, they've matured. Um, that's, the, that's kind of the idea. But it is possible for young people to outdo the old in spiritual maturity and righteousness, which is what Paul was calling Timothy to do here. Now, at the same time, the young are also to honor the old, right? Later in chapter 5, Paul will tell Timothy, uh, he's telling him here, don't let anybody despise you because you're young. Show them your spiritual maturity. But then in chapter 5, he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. And so, even as Timothy shows his spiritual maturity, he, is spo- he, he nevertheless is supposed to humble himself before the older ones uh, in the church. He's, he can't rebuke them like he would someone else. He's got to treat them like a father. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. We'll stop there. Stop there for questions or thoughts so far. What do you think? Any, any questions, comments? Yes. Um, let's see. Let me, let me try to think about this. Let no one despise you for you, but set the believers an example. Um, it is strange language there. I think all he means is, um, be an example or be a type of what people look to as far as, okay, what am I supposed, how am I supposed to act? Where do I look? You know? Be that for them, Timothy. Does that make sense? And so he's, the way he lives is to be an example for believers. I don't think the... I, you might be getting mixed up with um, the way it's phrased here. So he's not setting... The believers aren't necessarily the recipient of the setting, right? Set the believers. Like, you, you know, you place believers over here. <laughs> uh, it, it, the recipient of the action is himself. Set yourself as an example to believers, if that makes sense. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, well, let's keep going. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Okay, he says, until I come. And so we see here that Paul was planning to visit Timothy in uh, Ephesus. Now Paul, at this, when he wrote this letter, he may have been in Macedonia, which is where uh, places like Philippi were at. Uh, you might think of uh, Thessalonica. Um, Paul is up in the north. Timothy is back in Ephesus, uh, uh, southeast of, of Paul. And so he's, he wants to visit him. And he says, until I come, uh, do this. Um, 
And so, uh, once again, we're reminded here of the fact that the apostle would be passing from the scene, right? He's not present with Timothy in Ephesus, but Paul is telling him, this is, this is what needs to be done there. I'm coming to visit you, but in the meantime, do this. Now, there would be a time when Paul would no longer be there at all. He couldn't come because he would be dead. And so Timothy would have to hold on to these um, commands when the apostolic age uh, had passed away. And so what was he supposed to do? Um, what are pastors in the New Testament supposed to do, elders? Uh, he says to him, give yourself, essentially, give yourself over completely to the ministry of the word. That's what the pastors, elders are to do. Minister the word of God. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Give yourself over to ministering the word of God. Pastors in the New Testament churches, they are not to be CEOs. They don't call all the shots. They don't make all the decisions. They're not vision casters. They're not supposed to be vision casters. Um, And they're not to be dynamic figureheads, right? The most charismatic, uh, personable, and attractive one in the group. That is not what pastors are supposed to be. Pastors are first and foremost to be ministers of the word. That's what pastors are called to do, to minister the word of God. Um, Cornelius Van Til, um, hopefully you guys are somewhat recognize that name. When our denomination was started by J. Gresham Machen, Machen and Van Til were uh, professors, pastors. Uh, they, they formed Westminster Seminary. They taught there. And they formed um, our denomination, or Machen did. One year after our, denom- our denomination was founded, Machen died. And so our original founder, J. Gresham Machen, of course, with others. He died one year after the OPC was founded. And who was next in line to really kind of be the, the leader, um, or at least one of the leaders, one of the primary movers and leaders in the church? Well, it was Cornelius, Cornelius Van Til. And so if, when you think about the OPC, I mean, we think about Machen, um, but really it was shaped for the most part a lot, in a lot of ways by, by Van Til and his ministry his teaching. So Van Til was a prominent figure in our church. And what did Van Til say? Van Til had two master's degrees. He had a, a bachelor's and a PhD in philosophy, PhD. What did he say about his degrees? He said all of his degrees were to be used in service of one degree, and he called it his VDM degree. degree. And VDM stands for Latin words that say verbum Dei minister, minister of the word of God. And so he had PhDs, masters, you name it, but Van Til said they are all in service of the ministry of the word. And that's what Paul says here. Devote yourself to the ministry of the word, Timothy. That's what the church is to be about. But notice too here the verbal teaching of Timothy is connected with his life. Conduct, love, in verse 12. If a man's personal life is in disarray, he cannot properly teach the word of God. If Timothy thinks that he can do a performance one or two days a week and then live however he wants the rest of the time, he will not be properly ministering the word of God. The very word that he teaches must impact his life. And the people whom he ministers to have, must see that if his ministry is to be uh, 
proper. And so he says, set yourself an example and keep a close watch on yourself, right? Watch your own life, Timothy. It will affect your ministry. He also says, do not neglect the gift that you have. Now, this is a reference uh, to the gifts of the Spirit that were given to Timothy to preach and to teach the Word. There are no natural-born pastors. There's no natural-born elders. There are no natural-born deacons or whatever gift that you have. It's not, you know, you just look at someone and they, man, they were just, they were just meant to be uh, an elder in the church or whatever. And that, that might be the, the case. Um, when you look at their life as a whole. Um, but men are able to lead the church. Pastors are able to preach because Christ, by his spirit, gives them the gifts that they need to do what they've been called to do. They're gifts from the Holy Spirit. Same way with each one of us, though. Perhaps you're not a pastor or an elder, a deacon, whatever. You've been given gifts by the spirit. There's various gifts, types of gifts, giving, um, generosity, uh, other types of gifts that we see, in, for example, in Romans 12. Um, but they're all gifts from the Spirit to serve the church. And so Paul says, don't neglect the gift that you have. It's a gift from God. Don't neglect it. Fan it into flame. And so that's what we're all supposed to do. Um, one last point here. Uh, he says, <clears throat> and I'll stop again. Uh, he mentions prophecy, right? He says, um, the gift that was given, that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the elders laid their hands on you. Um, This may have been a reference to some divine utterance from a prophet or maybe from an apostle about Timothy's calling because that that was still happening when this letter was written, right? Uh, God was still speaking supernaturally and directly through prophets and through apostles at this time. And so there may have been some actual prophecy connected to uh, Timothy's calling. That doesn't happen today. We don't have this type of you know, quote-unquote prophecy being spoken over um, someone about their, their leadership. Um, but it also may be a reference, uh, a reference to God's word, the prophetic utterance of God's word, and that is what we have today. When leaders are chosen... When they're examined or assessed for possible leadership, what do we have, what does the church have to examine them? God's word. And so we've already seen the qualifications for elders and deacons, and so the church is to take those qualifications, look at the men who might be interested or might be led to being a leader in the church, apply those qualifications, and then from there uh, make, make, uh, make the decision. Um, the elders here that Paul mentions, they represent the power of the church. And so ideally, church elders assess candidates based upon the parameters of God's word, which we saw uh, several months ago, right? He must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, all of those things, right? Um, And then determine whether or not they're qualified. Right? The elders do that, but the church as a whole is involved because the church votes. Actually, this particular church, Providence Presbyterian Church, in her history, a man was called, examined, assessed by the elders to be a pastor, an associate pastor here. 
it came time to vote on him, on to whether to bring him on as an associate pastor. And the church, the members, voted uh, essentially no. <laughs> uh, it was an over. It was it was a majority, yes, but there was a lot of no answers, and so it was almost as far as I maybe Scott can remember this. It was I won't mention his name, but um, I know who the guy is, and actually. Um, well, never mind. I won't mention that. Uh, I know his name. Um, he's actually no longer in ministry. Uh, but when it came time to, um, to vote on him to become an associate pastor of this church, where we're at, the church voted no, basically. There were too many no votes, and the elders were like, this, obviously something's up here. Uh, and so they didn't hire him. He, he, went, he went somewhere else. And so I, I bring that up just to show you the power of the church in assessing and calling pastors, right? It's not just that a man can become a leader in the church and the church just has to grant him that wish. It's that the church has the power to assess whether or not he's, he's called to do that, elder, deacon, whatever it may be. And so you can see here the power in the church, and that's what Paul references here. When the council of elders laid their hands upon you, meaning those elders assessed Timothy and approved of his ministry. It was coupled with some type of prophecy, but it was the church that determined that Timothy was ready to be ordained and to minister the word. Um, I'll stop there. Any questions on that? And the laying on of hands is just the ordination uh, process. We do it here when a person's called to be an elder, deacon, pastor. There's uh, a service, and the elders come forward and lay hands on the man, and he's ordained to the ministry. It's a, just a formal, formal way to go about setting a man apart. Any questions on that or thoughts? Yes, Daniel. <clears throat> Yeah, good question. So Daniel's question is this. If a man has talents or the desire to become a pastor and the church says yes, does that confirm that those talents, those qualities are there, those gifts are there? And on the flip side, if the church says no, does it officially deny that those gifts are there and say no, those gifts aren't there, those talents aren't there? Is that... Is that, did I get it? Is that right, Daniel? Are you basically asking if, if the church decides yes or no, is it confirmation either way? Yeah. Local church. Yeah, not just OPC. Yeah, local church. Yeah, good question. So the local leader, uh, local believing, Bible believing church, right? Uh, well, the question is, is this after the Presbytery has, had made the statement? Well, in our church, in Presbyterianism, um, 
you know, we don't just decide things on a local level. We are subject to the broader decisions of our presbytery, and so they're part of it. So that would be, for us, when we say church, that's who we're talking about, presbytery and us. And so that, that is a good point. Um, pastors in particular are assessed by the presbytery as to their giftings and callings. But to, to Daniel's question, uh, is the church's yes or no to a man, is it definitive, right? No. I mean, th- this, we don't make the right choices all the time, right? We're imperfect. We're, uh, we only have limited uh, ability to look into a man's life. We can't peer into people's hearts. And so, you know, hypocrites get ordained all the time in the church, and it doesn't come out until later. And so, um, so the answer to that question is no. It's not a, it's not a, it's, it's the system that scripture has set up. It's performed by often ignorant and people who make mistakes. Um, and so our, our, our decisions aren't always correct. But, um, but sometimes they are. Maybe even a lot of times they are, right? So we have to be aware of that. Good question. Any, any, anything else? Yes, Rita. Sure. Good. Yeah. That's an excellent point. That's a great point. Yeah. So Rita brings out the point that, um, you know, let's say a man is presented to the church to perhaps be an associate or whatever, or, um, well, in the case of pastors, you know, we pay pastors, right? And so this wouldn't be the case with elders, but, uh, and the church decides, we love this guy, he's got all the gifts, but we can't afford him. So the answer is no, right? And so, that answer would be a no answer, but for different reasons. Um, they might also still be saying that this guy should be a pastor somewhere. So good, very good point, yeah. Okay, uh, let's keep going here. Um, he says, uh, don't neglect the gift. Um, the church has approved you. Fan into flame. In another place he says, fan into flame your gift. Here he says in verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Okay, so this is essentially, the words that he uses here are essentially a repeat of what he had said in verse 13. He says, devote yourself, right? Completely give yourself over to this, to the ministry of the word. Here he says, persist, immerse, Watch yourself. Practice, right? So it's the same thing. It's devotion. It's immersion into the ministry, into holy living. It's full commitment, in other words, on the part of a Timothy. That's what he wants him to see. And really, um, since Timothy is to set the example, of course, he should do this. But this is what every believer should do, right? We all, in a certain sense, should practice these things, immerse ourselves in them, right? Um, Persist in the Christian uh, life. It's a call upon all one of us, every one of us. And he says here, so that all may see your progress, right? And so uh, Timothy is pastors, elders, leaders in the church. 
they're not called to be perfect right out of the gates, right? They're not called to just storm out of the gates and have everything figured out, right? That's not, that's not the case. You look at the qualifications, assess them, ordain them, and then what is to be shown? Progress, right? Not perfection, progress, growth. Now notice here that the church is mentioned. All may see your progress, And then he mentions your hearers. You will save both yourself and your hearers. These are references to the church in which Timothy ministers, right? And so what is happening there? The church is watching him. The church is looking at him. Uh, They're listening to his words. They're looking at his life. They're looking at the way he he, uh, relates to his, his wife. They look at the way he relates to his children. If he has a family. And so people are watching. And Paul says, they're watching you, Timothy. Show them progress, not perfection. You're going to make mistakes. Pastors make mistakes. Elders, deacons make mistakes. We make mistakes. We're sinful. We're men. We're broken. It's progress we're after, right? Um, uh, that's, that's what uh, Timothy is called to. And so also with each one of us, right? It's not just that the church is only watching the pastor, or only watching the way elders live and the way they speak. We're watching each other, right? Our kids are watching us. So people are watching. You claim to be a Christian? Be that, right? That, that's the idea. Persist in these things. Immerse yourself uh, in them. Devote yourself uh, to them. Um, Paul Uh, continues to fill out and repeat himself this command. He says, devote yourself, practice, immerse, keep a close watch. And so for the pastor, just as well as with others, what does the Bible teach us? That sin stands at the door, crouching, ready to overtake you, right? Um, I don't know about you, but I've experienced this. you know, you, you get somewhat indifferent to something or you get passive in some area of life and before you know it, you're like, you've got a problem <laughs> on your hands, right? And you're like, what hap- how did we get to this point? That's, that's sin. That's the power of sin. It, it's deceptive and it overtakes you before you know it. And so Timothy is to keep watch, persist in these things, keep watch, keep a close watch on yourself. And so that's what each one of us um, are to do. Um, one, one last thing, and I'll, I'll stop. Um, uh, Paul mentions uh, salvation here. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching, for you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, the foundation of salvation that's spoken of here is, of course, not Timothy's success, right? It's not, the, the church isn't saved based upon whether or not a pastor or a leader is obedient uh, to God's, uh, God's word. And Timothy is not saved based upon how obedient or disobedient um, the, church, the church is. The foundation of our salvation, the source of our salvation, is the gospel, right? The scripture. Give yourself over to the reading and the preaching and the teaching of scripture because that is how we are saved. We are introduced to our Savior in the word of God, in the teaching of the word of God. But there is a warning here. And that's why, most likely, that is why Paul framed it this way. 
the gospel is certainly tarnished by disobedience and unholiness in pastors. You will save both yourself and uh, your hearers. That kind of thing affects more than just the pastor of the church. It affects the whole church, right? And so there's a, a, a sober warning here for leaders. Uh, keep a close watch on yourself. If you do this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Meaning, God has ordained that he saves his people through the ministry of the church. And that is done through men in the church who teach the word of God and, and preach it. And then we're all called to obey it, right? And so he's called weak individuals, jars of clay, to minister the gospel, which actually saves people. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, um, you know, this, this thing doesn't just come down from on high. You know, I don't, God doesn't just drop the gospel in people's laps. He ministers the gospel through individuals. And so the way in which you lead, lead your life, the, the way you speak your faith, your love or lack of love, your purity or lack of purity will have an effect on others uh, in the church. It will tarnish the gospel. And so when we think about that, who is, of course, is our um, prime example? Well, it's Jesus, of course. What did Jesus do? He immersed himself in his ministry, right? Uh, he literally immersed him, well, not, not literally, I don't think. Like it wasn't full immersion when he was baptized, but or it probably wasn't full immersion when he was baptized. But when he was baptized, the point is he spiritually immersed himself in the ministry. What did John say? John said, you come to me to be baptized, I should be baptized by you, right? But what did Jesus respond with? We must fulfill all righteousness. That's full immersion, right? If anyone had the right to say, I don't need to do that, it was Jesus, right? And what did he say? No. Uh, we must fulfill all righteousness. He completely immersed himself. And of course, that led him to his death on the cross. So pastors, elders, deacons, all members alike are to have the same kind of devotion. Devote yourself, Paul says to Timothy, to the ministry of the word. But we are all to be devoted. Devote yourself to obedience to the gospel. That's what Jesus has given us. Any thoughts or questions on that? Add anything? Yeah, Brian, sure. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's a good point. Um, so Brian brings out the point is um, essentially that the church needs to remember that uh, they're to show grace to the pastor, right? You see a one moment of maybe a mistake or a lapse or something, right? Maybe you think about well, where, where did he come from? You know, where, what's, what's the background? What was he like five years ago? What was he like ten years ago, right? You know, this is a lapse for sure, but he's, he's shown a lot of progress, right? Um, and so, and I'm sure you're thinking of some other pastor, right? Okay, another, another church? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. 
sure, sure. Certainty and yeah, confirmation. It's a great question. So you're, you're talking about from the perspective of a man who might be thinking about eldership or pastor, being a pastor, right? Um, how can a man know for sure that he's called if he thinks, if he's got an inkling or a desire to possibly be in leadership? How, how can